The Christian world needs more spirit-filled teaching. So often we have fiery preaching without substance or doctrine without life. But we seek to join the two. We seek to bring theology on fire. This is Andrew Wilkes. This is Leah Wilkes. And this is Theology on Fire. Welcome back. We're glad you're here again. Uh, We're going to be talking about dreams and visions today um, and whether they are for today. There are different opinions on this topic, and we want to share you from the Bible what we believe would be the truth about that. Absolutely. So in our Christian faith, we're going to encounter, of course, lots of different opinions. And opinions come to die at the Word of God. Um, It is a double-edged sword, and you and I, we bring a lot of what we call presuppositions. These are thoughts that we have beforehand, and we can apply, uh, we can lay those over Scripture to try to make it say things. But whenever we, by the grace of God, come to the Word of God, it cuts through all of that and speaks to us. So, without further delay, what we want to ask our three little groups of questions. Number one, what is a vision, and are they biblical Number two, if visions are biblical, what is their God-given purpose, and are they still for today? And then number three, how do we know if a vision is from God or somewhere else, and what do I do if I receive one? So, Leah, what is a vision, and are they biblical? What is a vision? Well, when we're talking about a vision, people can talk about, oh, my vision or my personal goal, my New Year's plan, my hopes for the future. But that is not the vision we're talking about. We're talking about biblical vision. That's right. So this is something not from within. This is not a desire uh, that we're trying to speak into existence, like name it, claim it crowd might think about. This is something that comes to us from without. It's it's got an otherness to it. And I like the way Merriam-Webster, the dictionary, actually defines this. I think it's really good. It says, a vision is something seen in a dream, trance, or ecstasy, especially a supernatural appearance that conveys a revelation. That's a, that's a pretty good definition, even for the Bible. And uh, one thing to note is, in the Bible, visions and dreams are very tightly bound together because a lot of the visions actually occurred through dreams or during dreams. And the phrase that we get is dreams of the night. Amen. So the first mention of a vision we get in the Bible is found in Genesis 15. And I'm going to go ahead and read that for you. It says, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir, your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Okay, so did you catch that? 
after these things, Abram had just met Melchizedek, the king of Salem, the high priest of God, and he had also just rejected the spoils of war from the king of Sodom because he said, I'm not going to allow you to say you've made Abram rich. Also, this was just after a huge battle where Abram and his trained servants went and actually captured Lot back. He took him back from the enemy that he had been uh, stolen with. And He's older at this time, right? The promise still has not occurred to have a child from his own body. And now this is just my thought, but I'm wondering, did Abram have in his mind what would have happened if I had died in battle? That could have been a thought. But either way, we see that God encounters Abram. And what does he say? Fear not. God's bringing comfort to Abram. And he even begins to confirm his plan to Abram. This plan did not originate in Abram. It was God who called Abram out from the land that he was originally born into to come to Canaan. And again, in that first phrase there, it says, the word of the Lord, the word of God came to Abram. And that proceeds from God himself. And he was communicating with his servant. All right, so another vision we see is in Genesis 46, and it says, um, So Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. I I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again. And Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. So once again, in the night, visions of the night, God comes and speaks. The word of the Lord is coming to Jacob. And what does God say to Jacob? He says, do not be afraid to go down to Egypt. Don't be afraid. Now, it seems that Jacob must have had a little bit of hesitation to go to Egypt. Why would this be? Maybe it's because of his age, but also just in the context here, don't forget that his grandfather, Abraham, went down to Egypt and got into a lot of trouble going into Egypt in a famine. And also don't forget that it was his father, Isaac, who was told by God, do not go down to Egypt during a famine. Now Jacob himself, Israel, he's in a famine and he's being told by God, don't fear, go there, I am with you. And so God is promising that he himself is going to be there. He's giving comfort. And it's also an interesting note here that a sacrifice had just occurred by Israel. So we're starting to see here a connection between acts of worship to God and then God communicating to his servants. So again, acts of worship by these men to God, God communicating by visions in the night, and God providing comfort and explaining his will to them. So they are biblical in the sense that God does them, and they are actually recorded in the Bible, and that they are not from an evil spirit, but from the Spirit of God. Right. So what's the God-given purpose for visions, and are they still for today? Well, let's take a look in Numbers uh, chapter 12. And the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tent and called 
Aaron and Miriam, and they both came forward. And he said, Hear my words, if there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. So the context is that Moses' brother Aaron and his sister Miriam are getting upset with Moses because of the woman that he married, and they start to question his authority, uh, Moses' authority, and start to say out loud, now, does God speak to Moses alone? Hasn't he used us? Doesn't he speak to us? And God puts a difference between simply being a prophet and someone like Moses, who was very special to God, who saw the form of God, not face to face, but saw his form. But God is saying here, my words, if there's a prophet among you, I make myself known to him in a vision. So God uses visions to make himself known. And he says, I speak with him in a dream. I speak. I bring forth my word. And what does God do when he brings forth his word? He magnifies himself. God doesn't just reveal himself just to reveal himself. He, he expects a change, an action. Something is going to happen like Isaiah when he saw the Lord in heaven. And he said, woe is me. I am undone. I am sinful. He saw the holiness of God and God then declared his purposes for the earth. Who will go for us? And then Isaiah says, here I am, Lord, send me. So this is not a strange apparition like culture given to. This is not just some vision of a statue crying or a cross in the sky Mm -hmm. that make no difference other than to give you goosebumps. This is... Instructive. This is instructive. These are prophets foretelling, not whether it's in a predictive manner or foretelling in a declarative manner. These are the purposes and these are the plans of God whether it's for that generation or for the generations to come. Right. And and just to emphasize that again, like visions and dreams, they are instructive. They're for a purpose. It's not for just you to feel good. And that is something just to be wary of. Like God doesn't just do things. And, and that churches can fall into that when they see things and things fall from the ceiling and, oh, we all felt this or and whatnot, but it doesn't bring any direction or it doesn't truly bring glory perhaps or instruction to the ministry of God in this earth. It's just this thing that they see and all kind of wow over, but it doesn't bring them further on in their faith or their knowledge of God or their knowledge of how they can glorify God in this earth. Amen. And and just reflecting back, you know, Abram and Israel, also known as Jacob, they were told again not to fear. They were comforted by God and they were given direction. And again, it was after very emotional times, like we've explained, and they needed God to speak to them. They needed God. They needed their father and God revealed his will and his will impacted not just those two lives, but really all generations forever have been impacted because God spoke to those men at those times. All right. Another reason for visions and dreams is to reveal mysteries. And we learned a lot about that when we did our series on Daniel. And um, Andrew, do you want to tell us about that a little bit? Right. So um, Daniel chapter 2, verse 17, uh, we, we find a small passage there, and it's King Nebuchadnezzar, he has this dream, and he asks the wise men, or demands the wise men, tell me what it means. And they say, well, tell us what your dream was, and we'll tell you what it meant. And, and so he gets very angry, and he says, no, you're just trying to put some uh, 
wool over my eyes here. You're all going to be put to death. And so someone actually comes to tell Daniel they're going to put the wise men to death. And so Daniel calls his friends together and he says, let's get together. Let's pray. This is, this is not good. So it says this, then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, that's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, his companions. And he told them, seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons, removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise, knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. And the whole purpose was so that people might know who God was. And that's exactly what happens. So Daniel goes forth. He's received this vision in the night. This mystery has been revealed to him, not for his own glory. That's why he turns away a sacrifice that Nebuchadnezzar wants to make to Daniel himself. And he says, God in heaven has done this. So God in heaven, through that mystery, through that vision, put Daniel in a place where the one true God would receive glory through him, and he divinely positioned Daniel and those other Jewish men in that story to places of great influence. And it's from those places of great influence that God then unfolds the rest of the book of Daniel. So through a mystery, through a vision in the night, God set himself up for continual glory. So here's the big question. Are they still for today? That's a great question. It causes a lot of contention among a lot of different believers. I don't think it needs to because Scripture is very, very plain. And we have a linchpin, and it's found in Joel 2, 28 to 29. And this really connects this idea of dreams and visions continuing from the old into the new covenants. It says, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants, in those days I will pour out my Spirit. Mm. So the coming of the Spirit of God upon the people of God would produce something very special. Prophecies, dreams, and visions. Amen. Very exciting. And I love that it says your sons and your daughters your male and female servants. That's right. And this has application as well into what is prophecy. Because if you think that prophecy is not predictive alone, but also forth telling the purposes of God, then you cannot exclude a woman from forth telling the purposes of God, can you? But that's for another episode. Coming soon. Edgy. So we see that this was supposed to happen. This was a predictive prophet. <laughs> This was a predictive prophecy. Of course it was, right? It's a prophecy, something to come in the future. But it was fulfilled in Acts 2.15 to 18 on the day of Pentecost. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, your old men dream dreams. And it goes on to finish out that scripture from Joel right there in Acts. Right. And so we can see that God said 
under the old covenant through the prophet Joel that this was going to occur in the future, this pouring out of the Holy Spirit. It happened. It's it's history. It, It happened on the day of Pentecost. But there's something very unique in that Pentecost message in Acts 2, 38 to 39 that Peter says that shows us that this indeed wasn't just for a day, but is for us today. And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you, and for your children, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. So this act, this prophesying, these dreams, these visions, were not simply for the people there, that generation on that day, but it was for their children, and not just for their children, but as many as our God shall call. So it's not just one-time thing. It's not just the time of the apostles. It said, as many as the Lord our God shall call. So Leah, have you ever received a vision of the night? I have not. Um, not to my knowledge, but but I have to say, I believe if the Lord really wants to show you something, he'll make it very clear that it's from him. I have had friends who have asked me in the past, please pray for me. I had a dream and I want to know if it's from God or not. And that would make me very wary because I know that the Bible says of the Lord, he's not the author of confusion and he's God. And I just really believe when he wants to make it known that something is from him, he will. So if you have a dream and you're not sure, just don't worry about it. If God wants to speak to you, he's going to make it clear. Yeah, I'd say this, you know, there, there we're going to read very soon another scripture, and Peter, the chief apostle himself, is confused about what he's seen, and he doesn't understand, but will find out that God will always unfold his purposes and He's not going to give someone a mystery that he does not somehow interpret himself. Mm-hmm. So in the book of Acts, continuing this because this prophesying, the, these visions of the night, these dreams all together, they continue all through the book of Acts. Now, the book of Acts is a book of history. It's a book of history penned by the Holy Spirit. And it says in Acts 9, now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise, go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Saul, Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. So this is right after Saul has met Jesus on the road to Damascus. He was blinded. He's born again. He says, Lord Jesus, what would you have me to do? And there are two visions. Ananias was not seeking this vision. Ananias did not want this vision. This man, Saul, had been murdering Christians. He had been turning them over. If there was anyone in the world that Ananias did not want God to give him a vision about, it was this man, Saul of Tarsus. But he says, don't worry, he's praying. And there's that tie-in. There's this connection that seems to be of seeking God of seeking direction from God, and God will begin to reveal himself to that believer. But also note, you may not actually be seeking direction from God, but God will then require something of your life through a vision. 
What exactly do you mean? What I mean is, you may not be seeking this great mystery of God. You may not be seeking this great life change. You may just be spending time with the Lord in prayer, or you might just be walking through your life, and then God tells you something like he told Ananias, go put your hands on that man and pray, and this is going to happen. So another example we have here is about Cornelius. This is in Acts chapter 10. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all of his household, gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who was called Peter. So who was Cornelius, Leah? Can you tell us about him briefly? Um, He was a Gentile. Um, He was not brought up in the Jewish religion. He was a very, it would seem a very, a good man. He was said a devout man who feared God. So I believe he had knowledge of God, feared the Lord and clearly reverenced him in his life, in his family, in his what he did with his money. Yes. And he gave alms generously to the people. He feared God. Um, so he may have actually been a convert to Judaism as far as he could. But it says he saw clearly in a vision And it says that he prayed continually to God. So there's constantly this worship coming from his life, even in the giving of money that was worship to him. So again, we see this connection to worship and to seeking God and God revealing himself. Interestingly enough, again, two different people are receiving visions on either side of this. So God tells Cornelius, go find Peter. Meanwhile, the next day, Peter is waiting on lunch And so while he's waiting on lunch, he's on the housetop and he's actually praying as well. And uh, while he's waiting on lunch, he falls into a trance, it says, and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending. And God begins to tell him, look, arise, kill, eat. There are a bunch of unclean animals in this sheet. And it happens several times. And uh, he's saying, no, Lord, I've never done anything like this at all. What What does all this mean? God says, don't don't tell me that something's unclean, that I've made clean. And um, after this, he's perplexed. It says, now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And here comes the direction. And while Peter was pondering the vision, The Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. So again, Peter was praying. He was seeking God. He was not seeking a vision, Mm -hmm. but God revealed his purposes to Peter, even though Peter did not fully understand them in that moment. This was going to open up so much, so much. In fact, Peter was going to be called before the council in Jerusalem, and asked, why did you go to be with these Gentiles? And he's going to begin to speak about that, and we'll see the Holy Spirit begin to pin through Acts. It's going to start moving out from Jerusalem to more of the Gentiles. So here's the question. How do we know if a vision is from God or somewhere else? And what do I do if I receive a vision? Really good question, because 
God is not the only one who could give somebody a vision. This is true. Um, we are very aware that we are in a spiritual warfare as Christians. It's spoken about over and over again in the Bible, and we have an enemy, and he would love to um, distract us and get us off track and can bring confusion, um, especially to those that are lost. They can be very open to those things, especially if you are into drugs um, or just open to those other things like people get into crystals or tarot cards or whatever avenue. These things really open you up to demonic influences and the possibility of receiving dreams and visions um, from the enemy in that way. And you've actually heard of someone talking about a vision that she had, right? Yes, there was uh, somebody on YouTube one time I was watching. I'd seen a couple of her videos, and um, I just started uh, watching this one. It was really interesting, but basically she would have been into like crystals and some weird stuff, you know, so I just I just started listening to this out of curiosity, and basically she said she had this experience where all of this information about the next year of her life was, and I quote, downloaded into her. She felt like all of this stuff that she was supposed to do, and pl a place that she was supposed to move to, and decisions she was supposed to do regarding a relationship in her life, all of these decisions basically were made for her. And this information was downloaded into her. And I was very wary. I, I mean, I just knew instantly, oh my goodness, she's completely open to the devil and he has found an avenue to direct her life. And someone might argue, well, how do you know that wasn't God? Well, she's got crystals all around. She has no relationship with Christ. And we're going to find out some test criteria. How do I know if this vision is from God? Well, Isaiah eight nineteen to 20 says this, and when they say to you, inquire of the mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? So this is a bunch of witchcraft and, and like you've said, kind of like tarot cards. We've got that in New Orleans, Louisiana. They're all down the boardwalk there. To the teaching and to the testimony, if they will not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn or they have no light within them. If they don't speak according to the word of God, which has already been penned, if they speak contrary to it, they are not of God. And so if you have received something and it says, go and kill your brother, well, wow. <laughs> I mean, for so many reasons, that's not of God. It may not be something so crazy, but um, it's very clear. If it goes against Scripture, the Holy Spirit penned Scripture through men. He inspired them to do that. So we cannot claim that the Holy Spirit is going to contradict himself because God never contradicts himself. So it must line up with the Word of God. And he is going to show us very clearly what is of him. That's the power of the Holy Spirit within us. We are going to know that is not the Lord or that is the Lord. I feel this urgency in my spirit to call my brother and, and encourage him. You know, I know this is the Lord or, you know, on the opposite, oh, I have this dark, discouraging thought that just makes me dread the future and take away all hope. That's the enemy. That's not the Lord. That's not what he does. And he just shows us by his spirit. 
And you know, the enemy could even attack you in your sleep or in your dreams in the sense of giving you this crazy dream. I've heard of people in the mission field, they're in India or in there, maybe in other places, and they are preaching the gospel actively. They're seeking to build up the body of Christ, the church in that area. And they're having these very vivid, strange dreams with uh, just filled with fear or demonic overtone. And you can, you know, clearly that there's a spiritual battle going on. One of these people, they they were ready to quit. They were ready to get off the mission field in that moment and go home because Satan is just, tor- well, I want to say tormenting, but putting in their mind continually in dreams and such that their family is going to be killed. But what's happening is the enemy is coming against their lives. And at that point, we just have to withstand Satan in the name of Jesus Christ. But that's very clear who it came from. And in that moment, we are simply not to be ruled or owned by that fear because we are in a warfare, but we are victorious because Christ has already purchased that victory on the cross. That's right. And he's given us all the armor to wear in the middle of that battle battlefield, that sword of the spirit, breastplate of righteousness, helmet of salvation. Um, it's all there and we can wear it in faith. That's right. And another way to know whether it was from God, Deuteronomy 18, 21 to 22 says, and if you say in your heart, how may we know the word that the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. Now, this is speaking specifically of prophecy, but we can see that if the Holy Spirit has spoken something into your life or my life, he will bring it to pass because he is God. So to conclude, do you believe that visions are for today? Do you? Are you open to them? What if someone were to take you aside privately at church and say, look, I think I've received a vision from God. I'd love to talk to you about this. Is my first reaction disbelief? Or is there an openness to test all things by the scriptures? We are told to be a Berean, but we're also told not to quench the Holy Spirit. We've got to be open to God being God. And if he has put so much emphasis in his word upon visions and revealing mysteries of his will, we need to be open to it. That's right. We don't have to go search for a vision. That's not our calling. We don't chase these manifestations. We don't chase visions and dreams, but we should be open to them and also not skeptical when perhaps a brother or sister in the Lord says they had one, because this is biblical and it is for today. And if you really do have a question with that brother or sister in that moment and something within your heart's like, "Mm, I'm not so sure, then simply encourage them that if it's the Lord, it will come to pass and to sit and to wait and watch what God may do. Amen. Well, Father, we just thank you, God, for your word. We thank you for the Holy Spirit. We thank you that he is untamed, Lord. He can do whatever he wants and speak to us in any way he wants, God. We just thank you for your word and for your truth and that we can be guided in every avenue and area of life by your word, line upon line, precept upon precept. Thank you, God. We are safe and sheltered in you. God, I pray you just bless our listeners today as they go. And I pray you would, Lord, guide their lives and speak to them when you need to through dreams and through visions or just by your spirit as they go about their daily lives, worshiping you and following you, Father. Bless them and keep them. Let your face shine upon them. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us at Theology on Fire. Please subscribe so you won't miss new episodes. 
All of our information and contact details can be found at theologyonfire.org.